0: Our founder is both the president of the board and the CEO of the organization. This has not always been true in the organization. It happened when the number of directors fell to a low level and none would agree to take the position. As chair of the governance committee, I have privately advised him that this is not considered an appropriate method for governance. Yesterday, I heard from someone else in the sector that this president slash CEO situation could cause us to lose our 501c3 status. Is this accurate? Are there any materials you know of that address this issue?
1: So I'm going to speak at least for from the sake of Nevada. I don't I don't know if this is different in other states, but I know in Nevada, there there is nothing in in law that would lose you to um, cause you to lose your 501c3 status. IRS has a document we'll link to that talks about ways you can lose it. And those are some of the ones we've even talked about on recent podcast episodes, lobbying. Um, you know, endorsing a, a political candidate or getting involved in a political campaign, the private benefit issue, right? Um, which is sort of, that kind of teeters on this question a bit, like, because, you know, you, you sit there and you wonder, I mean, talk about the degree of control that one person has, both <laughs> as the the president of the board and no arm's length decision, really. I mean, like, they can't remove themselves from decisions They're president of the board, but they're also the executive or CEO of the organization. Like to me, I think you could argue that maybe uh, there's, there's, that could, if it wasn't done properly and there weren't other board members in place, that could start to lead to private benefit if yep. you're not careful. Right. Yeah. Uh, but those are a few of the things and there's more, but, but yeah, like I, I don't know, Andy, like, I don't know if this is different, in different States. Do you?
0: Yeah. So some state laws have, so in Nevada, it- says you need to have a board member right right? Um, Right. and that board or that board member then basically inherits all the titles right because you need to be a corporation you need three titles Um, in different states there are different rules about the number of board members that you're required to have for to be incorporated in that state as a nonprofit. the irs doesn't care the irs says like we recommend like best practice is more than one and probably three but they don't they won't revoke your 501c3 because you only have one board member they might like if you're filing a 1023 and you only have one board member they might decide not to to give you tax-exempt status to begin with but it's not a reason for revocation i did want to clarify one thing that you said about one of the reasons that you can get your 501c3 revoked um excess lobbying
1: oh yes right yes good point (laughs) like a couple
0: of weeks ago poor (laughs) april master luca ripped me in half because I got a whole bunch wrong when Oops. we talked about and lobbying. And I just got before. it wrong again. Right. So yes. Excess yes, lobbying. Yes, lobbying excess. is totally cool. Yes. Excess lobbying Oops. is not cool. Yes, it is thank a you. very complicated line. We Listen learned to, from you.
1: We learned from you, April. Sorry. <laughs> Listen to the episode. <laughs> yes. Like yes. two or three episodes back yes. to get
0: all of the details on yes. it. Yes. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so um I I wouldn't be I wouldn't be concerned about the 501c3. I would be concerned about just overall governance because you're right. as, As part of the governance committee, like your job is to advise as the board member, the rest of the board. This is not cool. Like we need to get our act together and we can't just have one person do all these roles. So either somebody else needs to step up and do these roles, too. Or we need to get some more board members that are willing to step up and do these roles. So that's that's the, the hard conversation you need to have with the rest of the board and not the poor person that's like said, fine, I'll do it, right? Yeah. That's not, you know, they're, they're just trying to make the thing continue to exist.
1: Well, and obviously they've got their own interest, right? They're the founder of the organization. And right. how many times do you see founders? They step right into this position, right? You and I could count. Like how many people we know that that's how they started, right? Yeah. Oh, I have. I am the president of the board and the executive director, or whatever their title right. is. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, don't do it. We've talked. We've talked about this issue oh, before yeah. a lot. Not I feel no, like before, not for a not while. while no, we haven't so. had any
0: founder questions lately. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: well, it comes full circle. Yeah, so. it does nonprofit governance nonprofit answers nonprofit
0: board nonprofit managers. nonprofit marketing nonprofit resources. The Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits presents "Nonprofit Everything," the podcast about everything nonprofit. With your host Andy Shurek and Stacy Wedding. Hello and welcome to another episode of Nonprofit Everything. I'm Andy Shurek. I'm here with my fantastic co-host, Stacy Wedding, and we're delighted that you've decided to join us today to talk about nonprofit stuff. So the way this works is you send us questions. We do our best to answer those questions. If we don't know the answer, and that happens quite often, we will drag in kicking and screaming a guest expert to answer the question for us. Or occasionally we get stuff wrong and we have to have a guest expert in to come and and fix everything too. So there's lots of ways that you can ask us a question. The easiest way is to go to the Nonprofit Everything website. There's a contact us button. There's a big old ask a question button. There's It's hard to miss the question asking section of the website. Or you can hit us up on Twitter. There's a Nonprofit Everything group on Facebook. Uh, You can ask a question there. That's a good place to do it. Or you can go old school and leave us a voicemail at 702-900-4656. Again, that's 702-900-4656. And in addition to the questions, we are in our 90s in our episodes now, and we are on our way to hitting episode number 100. And Stacey and I were talking and we want to do something special for our 100th episode. So if you have any really cool ideas of something we could do for our 100th episode, uh, we'd love to hear them. The, some of the things on the table right now are interesting, but not groundbreaking. And we'd love to do something just really amazing and cool. So let us know if you've got any thoughts, uh, something ridiculous you want us to do for our 100th episode or or somebody you want us to talk to or, or something you want us to tackle or you know, whatever you want us to do. Give us a call 702-900-4656 or find us some other way. And we would be really excited to answer your question. The podcast is a production of the Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits. And we say it every episode and we're going to say it again. The best way to support the podcast is to join the Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits. So if you're on the Nonprofit Everything webpage, there's a link that says contact the Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits. You can go right there from that point, or you can go to the Alliance for Nevada nonprofits.com and join up there. It's really the best way to support the podcast, and it helps us grow the community of nonprofits in Nevada that are learning best practices and working on some advocacy things and doing fun stuff like that. So if you want to be part of the solution there, please join and That helps us keep this podcast going. We really appreciate it.
1: Many nonprofits build unpaid work by employees into their business model and push the qualifications of exempt staff to avoid having to pay overtime or stick to eight 40-hour days. What are your best recommendations for staff management and payroll for best practice in nonprofits?
0: Yeah, this is rough because you and and this isn't a nonprofit specific question either. This is sort of just a small business specific question, or it's or you know there there might be a different nonprofit spin, but you're going to have the same answer if it's a for profit or a nonprofit. Which is when you're small and strapped for cash and uncertain about how your revenue is going to come in, you don't feel comfortable out about your cash flow. You don't feel comfortable about your liquidity. You have a tendency to do these sort of self-defeating things. Like and one of them is uh, we're going to we don't want to hire new people even though we've got enough work for for more staff members. We don't want to hire new people because then we're committed to them and we don't want to bring somebody on, realize that we didn't get the revenue that we wanted, the donations aren't coming in, we didn't get whatever grants, and then we're going to have to fire those people and that's just a really expensive dumb thing to do. So instead what they do is they just overwork their current staff. So, and do, and do tricks, some of which are not legal, which is to pretend that someone who's supposed to be non exempt is exempt, which means that this person should technically be um, hourly. And instead, we say that their salary, um, and and some staff, it's weird. We have conversations with staff sometimes, and they're confused. They're like, "How come I'm hourly and not salary? Like, you want to be yeah, hourly? Be <laughs> hourly. <laughs> you yeah. want to be like, trust don't, us. Like, <laughs> every
1: hour you work over forty, <laughs> you get paid for exactly us, like, right. Yeah. Exactly.
0: Yes. Don't don't be yeah. offended that you're yeah. not. You know, you're not being treated like management because yeah. because you're you you get that. So so what some people do is they'll say like all of our staff is is salary instead of hourly. And when you look at the rules, the rules say, you can't do that. You're not supposed to do that unless you, and and there are very specific rules about who's supposed to be salarily, who's supposed to be hourly. And we've got that, um, that's in a previous episode. We'll link that previous episode about how you make that determination. So you can just go back and listen to that one. But this question is more like, you know, what's the best practice? The best practice is to have a business model that supports the staff, that supports the work that you're doing. You know, overworking your staff, constantly driving people too hard, is a sure way to burn everybody out, make everybody angry and make sure nobody's doing their best work. And that's not where you want to be. So making that, having that conversation with the executive staff, like saying, look, like you we're working 60 hours a week and you're not getting good performance out of us for 60 hours a week. And people aren't going to stay long. Like either the organization is going to respond to that positively, which is you're right. We need to figure this out. Help us figure it out. Right. Or they're going to respond negatively with like, you know, anti-work stuff, which is like, <laughs> you know, fine. If you don't like it, go, go work somewhere else. Right. Yeah, yeah. And, and which, you know, honestly, that, sometimes that's the best advice is that if, if the, if the culture of the organization, if the way management treats staff, if the board is dis disconnected and isn't doing things the right way, sometimes the right answer is to go, you know what? I learned a lot from this job. It's time to go take those things that I learned to an organization that's actually going to appreciate me. And and now, I mean, you know, we're as we're recording this podcast right at the end of 2021, like the job market is crazy. Oh, it
1: is crazy. crazy. That's what I was thinking when you were saying all this is I was like, there is no way you can get away with this kind of thing in today's job market. People can't even who actually have good hiring practices and have good practices for running their business and their nonprofit are having a hard time finding people forget about if you're overworking people. Yeah. Heaven help us. Right. Every
0: time I see one of those like posts somewhere where it's like, someone has put a sign on the front of a Chipotle that said, everyone walked out because it was a miserable place to work. I'm always (laughs) like, I want to high five every single one of those people. Like that is exactly what we want to see is like, people need to say, step up and go, look, like just because you're paying me doesn't mean that I'm not a human. Right, <laughs> like right. you need to treat me. You need to treat me well. Yeah. And and the nonprofit sector is unfortunately, especially in the I don't know. I'll probably be, feel dumb for saying it this way, but sort of in the the sexy side of the nonprofit, like arts organizations or or organizations that are that are working in 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 cultural kinds of things. That has a, a tendency to attract people who really like that work. And having, having been that person, you know, I worked for theaters. I worked for museums for a long time. And you would see very frequently people that would put up with just the worst thing because they really wanted to be close to that art. They needed, that was what they wanted their job to be. They were always going to be a person that's close to this cultural thing. And so it always makes it 10 times worse. You, you put up with 10 times as what's junk, because because you want to stay there. Like there's yeah. so such a high bar. I had and I've told this story fifty times on this podcast about the board member who said, you know, why would we pay people more? Like it's a nonprofit. Like they're Ugh. they're supposed to be paid yes. less, even though they're doing the exact same work. That was a cultural institution. Yes. And her point was that, like, look, these are museum people. They're gonna come in and they're gonna do yeah. museum. What are they gonna do? Where are they gonna go?
1: Right. 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 So
0: we're gonna pay them what the market rate which is, which is basically nothing. And that's, I mean, and and, if and
1: they're not going to demand or expect more because they are so tied to the mission and the work, right? That yeah. like, there's that. I think there's a tendency to take advantage of that mentality and that sort of drive and passion that attracts people to the nonprofit sector, and it's easy to fall into that trap of, oh, but I'm doing this for the greater good or whatever that I'm passionate about, and it's easy to fall into that trap of okay it's it's all right because I'm doing this for the for the cause but we know that leads to burnout and a whole lot of other bad things long term
0: yeah. and don't be a don't be a martyr just yeah. because you're working yeah. for a charity just because you're working in the nonprofit sector doesn't mean you're Jesus yeah. right you're not <laughs> you don't need to take that all you don't need to <laughs> take everybody's everybody's sins in on yourself yes. and absorb them yourself right that's not your job right and so and there's and there's all this confusion between like, if you're doing, and we see this reflected in in the way people talk about giving to nonprofits as well, right? They expect nobody at nonprofits, like externally expect nobody at nonprofits to be making a lot of money because you should really be doing it out of the goodness of your heart, right? Yes. But those of us in the sector are like, nah, it's kind of also a job. Yeah. Like, and I, I don't know how to explain it to you in a way that makes you understand it well, but like, you need somebody to do this. And I've happened to be really, really good at it. And you're lucky I'm staying here right. in this sector. Because right? I
1: could go elsewhere and probably, you know, and I could even maybe make more elsewhere because of the dynamics you're talking about. Yep,
0: yep. So how do we fix it? Like, so we've just we've spent 10 minutes complaining about yes. like agreeing with like, wow, that's awful. Yeah. So like an organization, what do you think, Stacey? An organization where you've got the, this, the executive team is concerned about cash. They're concerned about how much money they've got. They don't want to bring in more employees, but they feel like they need to be doing so much to be able to prove to the community that they're doing a good job. What do you? I mean, what do you tell the board? What do you tell the executive director?
1: I mean, I, you know, and and people get tired of me saying strategic direction and kind of prioritizing. I honestly think you have to look at what you're doing. If you cannot figure out a business model that works to bring in the help and support you need, right? You've got a couple other options. You either do some strategic volunteer recruitment. We know there's pros and cons to that that come with that, right? Some volunteers can be super reliable. Some might have the expertise and skills to augment some of what you're looking for. And some sometimes that doesn't work and it can completely flake out and it's unpredictable and it's really hard to run an organization based on that unpredictability. So I think that's the first, but I, I mean, I go back to like, streamline and figure out what you're doing best at what is providing the best return on investment for you like what what is your sweet spot with your business model and maybe that's where you focus i i feel like so many times in nonprofits people try to be all things to all people and it's very easy to keep adding especially when you get you know you get a board member that says oh let's add this program or this organization's doing this cool thing instead of saying okay is that is that within our wheelhouse is that a strength is that something, have we done a business plan or some sort of mechanism to figure out how we're going to fund that instead of just keep adding? Because it's this its this mentality of just let's keep doing more that is causing these problems instead of saying, I want to be laser focused and do really well at this. Here's, here's my niche, right? Like, here's what I want to do really well with. And I think if more organizations did that, um, we'd see less of this. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I agree. And I also think that you should spend some time looking at job descriptions and making sure that they accurately reflect yeah. what everybody is supposed to be doing. Like a, if you don't have a job description, that's something you should irritate your manager about. Is yes. that like, can you... Can we look at my job description again? Because I feel like I'm doing things that are not on it or I don't, you know, I just want to make sure that it's accurate. And then you can use that as a tool to determine whether or not you should be an hourly employee or a salary employee. And then just kind of work it from the sort of legal HR angle, which is like, look, I, you know, I I don't mean to be a pain, but I should probably be an hourly employee. And that solves the, you know, you're working 60 hours a week, but only being paid for 40 Ah. because then all of a sudden you're an hourly employee again. And board members will take this seriously too. So like your manager might not take it seriously. The executive director might not take it seriously. But if you've got a good board, like if the board finds out that you're, you know, kind of not obeying labor law the way you're supposed to, <laughs> Yikes. they're not going to be super yeah. excited about that. Yeah. So it's a, that is a risky thing to do, as we've said before, right? The last thing the board wants to hear from is a staff member, <laughs> right? Yeah. But But they need to be made aware of it. The HR person, if you've got an HR person, should be taking that seriously. If you don't have a good HR person, that's kind of always a red flag for an organization anyway.
1: I also think back to your job description idea, I uh, actually had a client I'm working with that recently went through um, an exercise for just this reason. They said, okay, so write down what you're doing now that's in your job description, write down, come up with three columns, write down what you're doing that is outside of your job description. And then sort of a third column, write down things you are um, interested in, like learning more, doing more, like something that maybe maybe there's a spot of the organization you've always wanted to kind of like explore right or mm-hmm. learn more about maybe there's some cross training or something. Anyways, great exercise to, to really just kind of map it out and look at it and go, Holy cow, we have a lot of people <laughs> that are doing things that are not on their job description. Right. Yeah.
0: yeah. I've asked staff to let me know if they're contacted by the media Depending on the story angle, I often bring in appropriate staff to speak with the reporters. For whatever reason, my communications coordinator doesn't involve me like I've asked. I get the sense she thinks it would be her responsibility to work directly with the media. Am I being too controlling?
1: No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no. So, so, well, okay, so uh, some nuance to this, right? I don't think you're being too controlling. First of all, from a standpoint of, in general executive directors most of the time sometimes there's a board member that's also appointed this is like the chief spokesperson for the organization so first of all like sort of talking about who is that chief spokesperson who who should be communicating messages they've been trained on messaging they've been trained on crisis communications right any of those things like that person and generally that lies with the executive director i mean in most organizations at least that I've seen and work with and if you're a really large organization maybe you've delegated that to another staff but in in smaller or mid-sized organizations I think that exists I mean to me this sounds like perhaps somebody that um you know maybe there's some role clarification needed maybe that I mean they play a role in perhaps getting the media Um, depending on what their job description is, right? Maybe they they play this, I mean, they play an important role in getting the media interested in your organization, but then their role stops and they hand it over to you. So it feels like maybe some like communications protocol, like just kind of talking through it, figuring out where does your role stop and start? Where does mine begin? Let's like be in sync with this Um, because otherwise it could get messy. And the last thing you want is someone who isn't perhaps prepared, I don't know, to 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 talk or maybe hasn't been given the training to communicate on behalf of your organization um, doing that. Um, I, you know, I don't know, Andy, like I was sitting there thinking about, about the, is it too controlling? Um, I I guess I just think this is something you have got to preserve as an executive director. You and your board are really responsible for preserving that image and everything within the organization. So however you have to do that, and so if if you can do that and you're comfortable delegating this to a communications coordinator, okay. But I honestly think when you look at donors and stakeholders and people in the community, they actually, it helps increase your credibility. Um, if the top dog leader, you know, I, is actually speaking on behalf of the organization, people want to know who's leading an organization, who's behind the organization as a leader. So from that perspective, I still would argue I do think it it in many ways has to be a senior level employee or executive director. Push back, tell me do you see
0: different? A little bit. I mean I I agree. I don't I don't disagree with anything you're saying. I would for this specific scenario I'd want to know what the what the job description for your communications right. coordinator is because it's it's clear that you know as you know, if you if you're if you're the executive director and you're confused about what this person is doing, that's kind of your problem, yeah, right? Yeah. You need to either you've 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 told them the wrong thing, or they have different expectations coming in of what they're expected to do. Um, and I but I think it is different for different sized organizations. For little tiny organizations, like yeah, usually the executive whoever is in charge is usually the person that's a person's having conversation, and you're talking about media training. And and I, you know, my experience, the person that's in that communications coordinator role never wants to be no. on camera. No. They they want to, yeah, they... Coordinate right. behind the scenes, right? right? Yeah. So, but it kind of depends on the thing because if you've got you know, if someone's, if, you know, here at the, well, just use a food bank as the example, because this happened all the time, like around the holidays, you just get a whole bunch of people come in to talk to you, right? Every news outlet wants to know Thanksgiving, what are you guys doing? Right. And, and there's a certain point at which like trotting the executive <laughs> director out to do a three minute AM radio spot that's at four o'clock in the morning is not going to be useful for anybody. So having like, here's some, here's a, Release We've put out here some talking points that we've got. Like maybe the communication coordinator can do stuff on background that sort of helps flesh out a story that doesn't involve having to have a, a person there. Mm-hmm. So, like, so it kind of depends. I think it's situational, mm-hmm. it kind of depends mm-hmm. on what you want. Um, but your point about you know media training is super important, that is something that if you've if, if you are ever talking to folks in the media, if if you even have the opportunity to, you know, God forbid something goes wrong and you need to have a conversation about something that your organization might be related to, like having gone through professional media training to understand how that works is going to save your life. It's absolutely going to save your life because remember, reporters do this all day long. They're really good at it. They're great at asking you questions that you weren't expecting to be asked and you need to know what they're looking for, what they're trying to ask you, like super cool tips. Like it don't answer a question you haven't been asked, yes. right? Yes. Don't like the moment the microphone is connected to your shirt, you're being recorded. Yes. Like it's even not if it's off
1: record, yeah, right? pre-camera
0: yeah. banter is not off the nope. record, right? Like all these kinds of important things that you like, you never really thought of until you've gone through media training to learn about that kind of thing. So, so yeah, so I think it's, it's, it's situational, but my my position really is: you need to look at the job description. You need to have a conversation with his employee about, like, tell me what you're, tell me what we're trying to do here. <laughs> like, what yeah, you know, because yeah. like, yeah. <laughs> like, because you know, m- maybe you were confused about what the role that I hired you to do is. And if that's right. the case, like, let's let's talk about it and figure out, like, maybe there's an opportunity for this. Um,
1: well, and I also think that opens up the door because I also think about this from a communications coordinator perspective. You're right; not only may they uh, uh, the, They may not have clarity on their role, but they also, um, you know, at the end of the day, they may be trying to take stuff off your plate. Like, hey, I'm here to help out. They're so busy. My boss is so busy or the ED is so busy or whatever. Like, I'm trying to do this. So, like, I also think it kind of just begs the question, especially if I kind of get the sense from from the way this question was asked that, like, maybe this person is – yeah, just creating their own rules, but but again, I don't know a lot of the details, and so if they're kind of going rogue on you, maybe there's an underlying reason for that too. But yeah, definitely a conversation feels like
0: <laughs> maybe you're terrible. Yeah, maybe, maybe you're really, maybe you really awful stink. on camera, That's true. and this person is trying to save <laughs> trying your to life, save
1: you and your organization.
0: <laughs> right. So I mean, I have the kind of conversation, and yeah. and sort of as a as a side too, you like you mentioned that the executive director is the person that people want to hear from because they want to see that it's well led. Yes, and. You also want to talk to the people that are the recipients of what you're doing, like somebody who's, you know, because a a third party endorsement of how great your nonprofit is, is going to be worth a thousand times more than the executive director standing up, burning through talking points about why they're an important thing to do. People are, they've seen that a million times and it isn't going to have an effect. Having the people that it's actually affecting, that, that this mission is actually affecting talking about you, it's going to be way more effective. Well, thanks for listening. We really appreciate that you've taken the time to join Stacy and I today to talk about nonprofit stuff. Uh, we will be back in two weeks with yet another episode of Nonprofit Everything. In the meantime, send us questions. Uh, I think I've still got some stickers left. If you want a sticker, uh, send us a question with your uh, mailing address, or or just send us your mailing address and we'll send you a sticker. We're not we're not picky. So go ahead and do that, and you could get a Nonprofit Everything sticker. And with that, we will see you in a couple of weeks.